0: You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. You know, this has been an unusual week in a a couple of ways. One is uh, the extreme tragedy of what has happened in Turkey, Uh, the two earthquakes there. I I think now that the count is somewhere up over 20,000 people that uh, have uh, lost their lives. And the great tragedy in all of that are that these are people that walk in spiritual darkness And uh, out of that spiritual darkness, they're looking for their God to save them, and he can't do it. Uh, So it's doubly sad. It's doubly tragic when you think about that. And uh, we already, as Baptists, Southern Baptists, we have personnel that is already on the ground there that's uh, ministering and doing what can be done. Uh, The other thing, it's interesting, is that this past Wednesday at 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, during chapel at a Methodist school called Asbury. Uh, after the chapel was over 30 students, just 30 college students, that's all was there in an in auditorium that'll seat about 1,500. Um, 30 students felt like they should stay afterwards and begin to pray, and people were impressed to come back in there for some reason. And uh, they have been meeting ever since. It, as far as I know, they're meeting there right now. They've been meeting 24 hours a day uh, since uh, 10 o'clock this past Wednesday. And they believe that God is moving in in, um, in revival there. I, I listened to a young man this morning. A student there said that 50 students from the University of Kentucky came up uh, just to join them, to be there. A professor from a university in Ohio came down just to see it. They say that people are beginning to gather from all over and that thousands are gathering there to pray and to sing and to worship and just to experience a move of God. That happened back in 1970. I was 13 years old when it happened. I remember it well. I walked into the breakfast room and my dad looked up over the paper and he said, uh, there's something fascinating in the paper today. And uh, mom said, well, what is it? And he said, they say that there's a revival at a Methodist school called Asbury. And that swept. It moved, you know, it swept out of uh, Asbury, went to Southwestern, where I graduated from. In 1970, it moved on the campus there, many other places. Uh, we've been praying for a move of God. We desperately need. The only hope for this country is a move of God. There is no other hope. I don't care what you vote for, who you vote for, no hope. The only hope is in Jesus Christ. And uh, if he does not move, if there's not a move of the Spirit of God, um, we, we face really dark days ahead as a nation, as the rest of the world. So um, I want to pray right now. If you would just join me in praying. And uh, let's pray for those in Turkey. Father, we do. Our hearts break for the heartache, the loss of life, uh, the struggle, the difficulty of a people who long uh, to know a true and living God, and yet, Father, they have believed a a a deception. I pray for them, and I I pray for the recovery efforts. Even though time has, they say, run out, we pray for all of those who've lost family, the hurt, the grief that they're going through. Uh, We just pray for that government there and the hard-line president there. We pray, Father, in some way that you would even use this to move on his heart. So we lift them up to you. We pray for those that are there that know you as Lord and Savior, that they would be a light, that they would be... Uh, Lord, that you would grant them favor with everyone they come in contact with. Use them, Father, in an unusual way. And Lord, for those who have gathered as far as we know right now in that Hughes Auditorium there in Asbury, that where you are moving in an unusual way, as far as we can tell, Father, this is your work. And we praise you for it. We thank you for it. And Lord, our hearts ache to see a move of God In our midst, in our church, in our hearts, in our families, we want homes restored, marriages restored, and relationships between children and parents, and parents and children restored. We want relationships between brothers and sisters restored, and one Christian and another Christian, even in the midst of your congregation, where there is disruption of fellowship Father we long for the move of God to come and to bring a sense of unity and oneness and uh, peace and joy and strength for the joy uh, 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 for the strength of the Lord is our joy the joy of the Lord is our strength and uh, we are strengthened father because of your word and as we turn to your word this morning speak to our hearts when we struggle to know which direction to move in, to go in. So, Lord, prepare our minds right now. Prepare our ears. Shut out every distraction from us. Open, Father, our spirits to receive what you want to say to us. And, uh, Father, help us, Lord, to experience your presence in this place, we pray. Amen. It was... um, the last hit they would ever have. In fact, it was the last song they would ever record together. Paul McCartney admits he was in a state of depression. He was sad. The Beatles were in the process of just finally breaking up completely. They were going to do this one last song, but none of them could agree on how to record it. Uh, Phil Spector went into the studio, laid the tracks down. Uh, McCartney said that he couldn't stand any of it. So they all got in there and they just... Fussed and hammered it out. They eventually recorded the song uh, that he said he wrote literally out of sadness for what was going on with the Beatles. And the song is called Long and Winding Road. And he said that it is a song about the unattainable, that you never get there, that they could never get to the place. I'm sure going through his mind where they could resolve their issues. It was an unattainable goal. It was a door. He said, you could never never get to that door and never get through that door. Remember the song speaks so much about that. Don't leave me standing here. Um, Come and get me, take me to your door. Uh, And he said it was just that door that you could never get to. He said it's that road that would never, ever end. And when you come to Exodus chapter 13, you're going to begin a road that will seem as if it is long, it is winding, and it will never end. In fact, an entire generation will die and never get to the end of that road. An entire generation will die from 20 years of age and up, and uh, the only ones who would live beyond that just uh, Joshua and uh, Caleb were the only two. Not even Moses would make it into the land. Those 19 years of age and younger uh, were the generation that would inherit the land that God had promised Uh, because these people refused at one point to walk by faith. Now, you have to hold on to that because I'm going to come back to that at the end. They refused to walk by faith, and because of that, it was a long and winding and never-ending road, and they died never having completed the journey. So, if you'll go with me, if uh, this morning to the thirteenth chapter of Exodus, um, God didn't take them down the most convenient road. God didn't take them down the fastest road, the nearest road, the easy access road. It was a road that was long. It was winding. It was a struggle. It was difficult. There was hardship. There was suffering along the way, and yet it was the road that God had determined that these Hebrews needed to go down, and um, the way he did that for them is the way he does that for us. Uh, The roads you're going down this morning may be long. It may be winding. There's difficulty. There's struggle. There's some suffering along the way, but I want to tell you something. Uh, You need to understand that God intends to pour blessing out on the road he's leading you down and not withhold blessing from you. Now, a lot of times we think we're on this road that's so difficult, this can't be God's will uh, because uh, it's so difficult and God's withholding his blessings from us. No, he's not, you just don't see him. Uh, The same for Israel, they just could not see how God was blessing them and using them and doing something in them All they could do was murmur and complain and grumble, and that's exactly what we do. Are y'all here this morning? Is anybody out there? That's exactly what we do. And we don't know where God's leading. That's the thing. How do I follow God when I have no clue where God is leading me? Now, they knew they were eventually going to go to the promised land, but they had no clue as to the way that God was leading them, the road and the path that God was taking them down. It seemed as if, you know, God, you've made some kind of mistake somewhere here in all of this uh, because this is just too hard. This is just too difficult. So how do I follow God when I don't know where God is going? And it seems as if the way is difficult and hard. I'm going to give you a couple of principles. I'm really going to come and give you the answer in point three, but I'm going to give you a couple of principles to learn about following God down the road that he's leading you on. Number one, I want you to understand God never consults with you about the course he has you on. God never does that. Now, let me begin in chapter 13 with verse 17, and listen to this. Now, when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. That would have been much faster, much quicker. It was a direct route, but God didn't do that, Uh, though it was nearer. The Word of God says that. It was much nearer to go that way. God didn't lead them that way, for God said, the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Now, uh, just understand, they're going to threaten that all along the way, but they never carry through with it. So hold that in your mind, and let me tell you, I could preach a sermon out of verse 17. Uh, Number one, the point one I would make is this, and if you want to know some application about how God's leading you, number one, you have to come to the understanding that headed down this road, God knows what lies ahead uh, down the road that you're on. God knows that. He sees, in the words of the great theologian, Tim Allen, he sees to infinity and beyond. God can see all the way to the end of the road that you're on. You cannot. We can't see what's down the road. We have no clue what tomorrow holds. We've got plans for tomorrow, we've made plans for this coming week, we've got all kind of things, we've made plans for tonight, what we're going to do tonight, how we're going to, who we're going to pull, all this kind of stuff, we've got all these plans, listen, you may never make it to tonight. God can see all the way, now listen, let me give you the second thing. God not only can see down the road that you're on all the way down the road, God can see everything on every alternative road that you have not taken. Ha, I love that. Y'all just, y'all just, you're the, man, I love that point. That's just a good point. He sees everything down every road that I've not even gone down. And let me give you the third thing. He knows which road is best for you. Did you get this here? He's got them on a long road, a winding road, a difficult road. He's got them on a road where there's going to be some hardship and some struggle and some difficulty. But he did not let them go down the road of war with the Philistines because it would do them in. And as difficult as the road is that you're on, if God had let you go down another road, you might not be here right now. Now, there are your three points. God has got them on the road where he wants to lead them. Now, listen to this. Moses had spent 40 years in that wilderness. I, I had the opportunity. We, I took my family, all the kids, and the sons-in-laws, and the daughter-in-laws, and the outlaws, and everybody. We, we went down through the Sinai, and uh, it, was a, it was just an incredible trip through there. But I want to tell you something. If you didn't have a guide, you would die. I can promise you this, I don't care how good of an outdoorsman you are, you might, you might make it through these Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina pine trees. You'd never make it out there in that place. If you did not have somebody that knew, well, Moses knew. He knew every route that the caravans had been on. He knew every route that the shepherds would take. He could see roads in the sand that nobody else could see. He knew where vegetation was in that place. He knew throughout that Sinai where all the water holes were. Uh, But the interesting thing is this. God never spoke to Moses like Captain Kirk spoke to Mr. Sulu and said, set us a course, Mr. Sulu. He never turned to Moses and said, Moses, have you got an idea about where we should go? He never looked at the people and said, hey, does anybody here have a clue about where we should turn or which direction we should move in? He never asks a single person how they should go. God never consults us on the course that he leads us down. That's the same thing for salvation as well. God never asked me, hey, Mac, Can you come up with a good idea how we can get you saved? God never said that to me. No man ever sat both upright at four o'clock in the morning in a bed and said, hey, you know what? I've come to the understanding I'm a sinner. I need to be saved and I've got to have a savior in order to be saved and he needs to be a man so that he can understand what I live with and how I'm tempted and he can take my sin on himself if he goes to an altar as a sacrifice, but he's got to be God at the same time because at the same time I've got to have a perfect man, a perfect sacrifice and he'll be able then if he's god to take my sin and put it on himself and to take his righteousness and put it on me yeah that's it that's the salvation i I need no man ever dreamed that up that is an amazing salvation gift of god and god never comes to you and says hey what can i do uh, that will make salvation appealing to you and how can we get you saved God doesn't even do that with your life. God did not ask me. God never asked me about being a preacher. God never asked me about being a preacher. Now, I'm not saying this to be funny, but I'm telling you for two years, God kept saying in my heart, I'm going to get you. That was the word. God kept saying to me, I'm going to get you. I'm going to come like a linebacker out of your blind side, and I'm going to get you. And that's exactly what I heard for two years until I finally, on a Thanksgiving weekend, just surrendered. I did not want to be. I wanted to be a lawyer. They were the only people in that little small town I grew up in that had money. I sure Pop didn't want to be a preacher because they were all broke. God never comes to us and says, hey. What is it that you want to do? God never does that. You don't ever see that in the word of God. But God does come in Jeremiah 29, 11, and he says this. Now, I know he's speaking to Israel when they're in Babylonian captivity, but there are principles that can apply to our lives when God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for calamity. God doesn't want to give you a life that is full of tragedy. He says, but I have got a future and a hope for you. God has a future for your life, and it is an incredibly hopeful future. God knows the plans that he has for you, and he never comes to you and says, hey, do you have an idea what it is that you think you would like to do? God never does that. But we keep walking up to God's desk, throwing our plans right there down in front of him. Yes, amen, we do. Uh, Lord, this is my plan. And God says, well, this is my plan. And this is the one I'm going to bless. You say, well, I'm going down this road and I'm, I'm not so sure. I understand everything that God's doing and what it is that God intends for all of this. Listen, I, I, I'm, I, I don't know really what I'm supposed to do. I, I, I'm not understanding how God's leading me. I want you to understand something. Listen to me, especially you young people. Listen to me right now. God doesn't lead you to see if you will follow. But if you will follow, you'll discover He's been leading all the time. He doesn't see if you'll just follow Him. He wants you to follow him, and he's done everything he can to make it possible for you to follow him down the road that he's leading. You say, but I'm I'm not exactly sure where he's going. Just keep following. You see, you've got to follow him if you are going to find his leadership. Let me just read something to you out of Genesis chapter 24. Abraham sends his servant to go find a wife for Isaac, the son of promise. He's got to be the right woman for Isaac. just can't be anybody. So he sends his servant. I think it's Eliezer. We don't know. We're not told. But I think that's who it is. And Eliezer takes off and he goes to find Isaac a wife. And there's a statement that I think about so often in Genesis chapter 24 and verse 27. He said, this is Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way. Now I'm going to stop right there. Has anybody got a King James Version? You read, read that for us. Just really nice and loud with that good Kansas City chief voice. Okay, that'll do. That's the best of all. Genesis twenty-four, the end of verse twenty-seven. I just want—I want them to hear how it's stated. That's it. I being in the way. Do you know what that means? He's already moving. He's going somewhere. I being in the way, the Lord was guiding me. Guys, you can't sit around and say, I'll follow God as soon as he starts moving. He's been moving. The thing to do is this, get up and start following him. I being in the way, the Lord guided me to the house of my master's brothers. You you can't sit back and just think that I'm going to get somewhere in an easy chair. I've got to follow. I've got to get out. I being in the way. And you say, well, that's the problem. I don't know where he's leading. Let me tell you something. The truth of the matter is this. God has already given us every indication of some direction we need to go. Listen, amen. Amen. I knew ten years, uh, two years running from God. I knew for two solid years running from God, doing everything I could to shut the voice of God out, exactly the direction the Lord was taking me. And in my heart, I kept thinking, I do not want to be a preacher. I do not want to be a preacher. I do not want to be a preacher. And in fact, the night on Thanksgiving weekend, when I told Debbie, I said, I'm going to walk the aisle tonight to surrender to whatever it is God has for me, I walked that aisle and I said, God, I'm surrendering to you, but I do not want to preach. And God said, that's all right, come on. <laughs> just, just come on, just, just start walking. I give the invitation that way. If you'll take a step, you'll discover you, he'll move you the rest of the way. He'll move you the rest of the way. And so he's never going to consult you about the course you're on. Now, let me give you the second thing. And the second thing is this God never discusses the direction He's taking you. He never comes and discusses the direction that He's got you on. And watch, because this thing here keeps giving us all this direction. Now, watch this back in verse 20 of chapter 13. They set out, and they set out from a place called Succoth. and they camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. They set out from that place. If they had had gone straight and up to the north, they would have gone up into the way of the Philistines. He takes them and turns them to the right and down to the south. That's the best I can do without a map. That's what he's doing. He leads them from there. And now go to chapter 14, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel, turn back and camp before uh, Pihahiroth. Pihahiroth. He says, tell them to turn back and camp there. They've got to turn around and go back. They're going the opposite direction. Have you ever been on an airplane when it turned around and headed back toward the airport? Anybody? I have. And everybody gets the willies. I mean, everybody gets afraid. Everybody what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Have you ever been on an airplane when it started to land and then it took back off again? Betty, my son was sitting, we were coming back from Israel and my son was sitting behind me. And there was a guy in the bathroom that they kept trying to get him out of the bathroom. And wheels leaned over. When that plane took back up off, was we were landing, it took back up. He says, Daddy, I'm going back out there, and I'm getting him out. Um, he said, I don't know what he's doing. What's going on? I said, "Just you just sit. Please don't cause a commotion on this airplane. Just sit still. I, because if they put you in jail, I'm leaving you there. Um, <laughs> you know, have you ever done that? Well, you know something's not right. Well, these Hebrews knew something's not right. We're turning around and going back the direction we came from. And God gives him that direction, and then he says, listen, this is what you're going to do. Between Migdal and the sea, you're going to camp in front of Baal Zephon." Now, does that name even sound good to you? Do you know what it means? Lord the destroyer. Baal is the name of Baal. It's the Canaanite name for Baal. Zephon is the name destroyer. The Lord, the destroyer. That's where you're going to camp. Well, I mean, can we not stop at happy gardens somewhere? Do we have to stop at the Lord who is going to destroy something? But God puts them there. And they stay there, and you begin to ask yourself, I'm not sure the direction God's leading me in. I don't know that this is right. I don't know that this is the way we should go. And so the Hebrews question, just like we question all of this. And you say, well, what's going on? Well, look, verse 3, God tells us, Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they're wandering aimlessly in the land. Ah. The wilderness has shut them in. Okay. Now you get the mind of God on this. God is setting Pharaoh up. He's setting a trap for Pharaoh in the armies of Egypt, and he's using the Hebrews as bait. Now, we can see that. These Egyptians can see that they're wandering there. Well, let's go get them. In fact, listen to what uh, Pharaoh says down in verse 5. Uh, Pharaoh had changed his mind. He and his servants had changed, had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, "What is this that we've done? That we have let Israel go from serving us?" So they made his chariot ready, and he took his people with him. They got the army together. He says, "Hey, we're going to go get those people. We're going to bring them back. We're going to put them back into slavery." We're going to go out there and get them and bring them back. And now you begin to see God has set the whole thing up in order to trap Pharaoh. And you say, well, that doesn't sound really good about God. Well, let me just read you something out of Isaiah 55, verse 8 and verse 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then you say, well, what is God trying to do here? Well, just listen to what he says. He says, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will chase after them. I will be honored through Pharaoh. In other words, I will be glorified in this. He says it two more times. Verse 17, as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will be honored through Pharaoh. Look at verse 18. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh. Three times he says, my glory, my glory, my glory. Do you understand, I told you at the beginning of this, that over Exodus you should write God's glory. That's the whole of this book of Exodus right here. It's God's glory. It's all about God's glory. The direction God has you on, on the road that he has put you on, is about not your destination, it's about his glory. It's about God getting glory out of whatever happens to me in this life. Do you understand that God has got something better for you at your work than a paycheck every two weeks? It's his glory. Do you understand that God has something better for you in your marriage than just the two of you fighting it out until the end? It's his glory. Do you understand that God has something far better for you in your abilities and talents and gifts than you're just drawing attention to yourself? It is his glory. You just understand. You can take the Bible and you can write this at the beginning of it. It's all about God's glory. Now, we struggle with that because we like our glory, don't we? Yes, amen. Nobody's responding. Everybody's geared up, I guess, for the game today. Amen. That's right. It's all about us. No, it's all about God. It's all about God's glory. There are times when His direction doesn't make sense, but it's about His glory. Let me just give you an illustration. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 5. This is tough. This is a this is a tough Jesus comes and he's got a tough word right here but it's all about his glory. Listen to what he says. It's tough in life. It's hard in life. Jesus comes and he says at the end of chapter 5 of Matthew's gospel At the end of this chapter that begins the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, blessed are you when people insult you. You think, well, good night. Is that the blessing I'm to get? Well, Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, say all kind of evil against you. Has anybody ever done that to you? I've experienced it in the last two weeks. Somebody out on the left coast dredged something up from five years ago that they wanted to make news about, <laughs> and sent out a letter to all of our staff here. And I had to pull the staff together and explain this is what they want, and we finally, we sent what he wanted, and listen, to his credit, I have to say, he wrote back and apologized. He only wrote back to me, but he wrote back and he apologized. He said, I'm sorry, you're right, you did have it, and, you know, I, I, I understand the whole situation. But I want to tell you something. It hurts when you get embarrassed in front of your entire staff. It's, it's not joyful at all. But you know what? He says, rejoice and be glad. Well, Lord, this is kind of hard. He said, I, I, I don't care how you feel. You just rejoice and be glad. And listen, you get over here to Luke chapter 6, and let me tell you something. It gets even more difficult. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 26, it says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Well, that makes me feel better. For the fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. But I say to you who here love your enemies. That's hard to do when somebody's insulting you, when somebody's, you know, smearing your name. Do good to those who hate you. That gets even harder. You know, I can say I love them, but now I got to do something good for them? Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, don't withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. Whoever takes away what is yours, don't demand it back. Good night. Let's get out of that and go back to chapter 5 of Matthew. What God asked for us... And the direction that he sets our life is not always easy. It's hard. It's a struggle. But I am telling you, it is for his glory. He will not discuss with you the direction he has set for your life. He will not consult you for the course that he's put your life on. And you say, but you haven't answered yet. How do I know where he's going? How do I know how to follow him? Number three wisdom always walks by faith. Always. Wisdom always is obedient to the direction and the course that God sets. Now, just look at this. Pick it up. Chapter 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked. Now, hold on to that. And behold, That's two ways to say that they were looking at Pharaoh and the Egyptian army. They looked and they beheld. The Egyptians were marching after them and they became very frightened so that the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt? We are having a blast. Leave us alone. That's what they'd have you believe. Man, this is the best party. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. We're just enjoying this so much. Would it have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness? They were dying in Egypt too. They simply forgot that. Do you know what they were doing there? And I'm going to give you this out of Psalm 106. I came across this. It was just absolutely the Lord just led me to this, through this, uh, just a little bit ago in, before the first service. But in Psalm 106, I want you to listen to what the psalmist says there. He says, our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindness, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. What is going on right here, according to the psalmist, is that they were in outright rebellion in verse 11 and 12. Now Moses speaks. And look at this in verse verse 13. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. That is what you call in the Hebrew a negative imperative. It is the strongest way to negate something. In fact, to put it the way we would say it is this: the, the force and the way we would say it is this: stop it. That's so what Moses turns around and looks at him and just says, Stop it. Stop being afraid. Stop fearing. It's what Jesus says. To Jairus, when he turns to go home with Jairus, he's, he stopped because this woman with an issue of blood touched his garment, and he's ministering to her. They come from Jairus' house and tell him, your daughter has died. He's got a 12-year-old daughter. They come and say, hey, she's dead. You know, don't bother the teacher any longer. And Jesus turns around, and he looks at Jairus, and he says this, stop it. Stop being afraid. Stop fearing. Every once in a while, you need somebody to look at you and just say, stop it. Stop being so fearful. Stop going to the dark side. Stop looking at everything in such a negative way. Do not fear. Stand by and see. Do you see that right there? Stop focusing on Pharaoh and the army. You're looking at them. You're beholding them. Now, see the salvation of the Lord. Ooh, that's a good word. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you this day. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The only time they will see them again is when their bodies wash up on the shore. And that's what scripture is going to tell you in a little, little, little later in this chapter. As their bodies wash up on the shore. That's the last they see of the Egyptians. He comes and he says to them, Listen. This is the way I'm leading you. You walk by faith. You trust by faith. Now, I want to point out something, and I'm going to conclude with this. There's something in the middle of these two chapters that's screaming to these Hebrews, walk by faith, walk by faith, walk by faith, trust God by faith, trust God by faith, trust God by faith. faith." Does anybody here know what that is in chapter 13 and into 14? The bones of Joseph. We're told that in 1319. They've got the bones of Joseph. And the bones of Joseph are saying what? Look at verse 19 of chapter 13. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you. That is his expressed faith. Joseph expressed his faith to his brothers when he said, God's going to take care of you. He's dying. You would have thought that they would have been been consoling him. He's having to console them. He tells them, God's going to take care of you. He expresses his faith. I'm trusting God. I am putting all that I have as I die. These last words, I'm trusting God. You trust God. And then he comes and listen, he encourages their faith. Let me take you to Hebrews. Just go, this last passage I'll I'll use, maybe. Hebrews chapter 11. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. That roll call of the faithful. And listen to what, Listen to what is said about Joseph there. He's going to encourage their faith. In verse 22 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, by faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel. He was telling them about the exodus. If you got back to the 50th chapter of Genesis, it says this, God will surely take care of you and you shall carry my bones up from here. And he says, God is going to bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, people read that and think, well, he, that's a nice little thought uh, that Joseph had. That's not what the writer of Hebrews tells me. And the writer of Hebrews is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he tells me that Joseph knew somehow about the Exodus, even though it was 400 years away. And so he encourages their faith. He says, listen, let me tell you something. You can count on it. God's going to take care of you, and God is coming back here, and he's going to take you Jews out of this place, and he's going to take you over into the land. He expresses his faith. He encourages their faith. But I want you to see something. I want you to see this last last thing about Moses here and what he's going to do. He extends his faith to the future. Look at this. You still right there in Hebrews chapter 11? Look at verse 27. Speaking of Moses, it says this, by faith he left Egypt. Now, I didn't just dream this up. It's in the text. We walk by faith. That's what Moses is doing. Whether the others are following or not in faith, they're following for some reason because Moses is up there leading by faith. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Listen, Moses said, I don't care about Pharaoh. I don't care about the armies of Pharaoh. I don't care about the Chinese, and I don't care about the Russians. They can all come. I'm going to walk and follow God by faith. Doesn't make any difference what happens in the economy. Doesn't make any difference what happens with my work job. Doesn't make any difference that, you know, what happens in this world makes absolutely no difference ultimately because by faith I'm following Jesus Christ. That, listen, that was Joseph 420 years prior extending his faith to the future, and Moses was moved by it. Do you understand you can pray some things today that God will possibly bring to pass 100 years from now? Time doesn't matter to him. He doesn't have to have you here when he does it. Joseph told them about the Exodus 400 years before. And I am certain that that faith that Joseph expressed somehow made an impact on Moses. You may be the result of a grandparent's prayer they prayed 50-something years ago. How do I know that in 1970, in Hughes Auditorium at Asbury College... In Kentucky, that somebody 50 years ago did not pray, God, you visited us and our generation. Oh, God, please visit the next generation. And you know what? This past Wednesday, around 11 o'clock, God showed up. How do I follow God when I don't know where he's going? Just follow. Just follow. And he'll get you there. And his direction and his course is far better than any other that you could take. Let's stand. That's the wisdom of the word of God. Follow. Wherever, listen, the old hymn, Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so that wherever he leads, I'll go. Some of you this morning need to follow down an aisle and to this altar. I've already shared with you, if you'll you'll just begin to lift your foot, you'll find God right there to take you the rest of the way. Just begin to lift your foot, come on, and make a decision. You've never trusted Christ, come and trust Christ this morning. You've You've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Come on and do that this morning. You've never been baptized scripturally, biblically, like the New Testament prescribes. Come on and be obedient to Jesus. Come on and be baptized. You've been struggling with your path that you're on. You've been arguing and murmuring and fussing at God about it. Come on down here and begin to thank him for the blessings that are all along the way when you follow him. Father, I just pray we'd move, that we'd come, that we'd respond, that we'd just begin to pick up our foot and we'd discover you're already moving us down the aisle. You're already leading us. Father, I pray that you'd bring those, bring those, bring all of us, bring us to the point of humility and humbleness so that we might in this place experience a move of your spirit. I pray it in Jesus' name. You come right now. Come as God speaks. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.